Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio. And I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we've got a really, really special guest today that I can't wait to uh, introduce everybody to, and that's Anna Maria Mandelari. Welcome to the show, Anna. Hi, Brian. Hi, John. Thank you for the invitation. Well, we're so excited to have you. Yeah, you know, Anna and I met a few months ago in London, and we were at an IoT security event. We were both speaking. I think I spoke, and then you you spoke right after, and it was just... It yeah, was such, exactly. uh a captivating presentation. I was like, oh, I just love to get her uh, on the podcast. And thankfully, she said yes, and, and she's here. And uh, we couldn't be more thrilled. Anna, you have a a really interesting background and uh, cer- certainly well-steeped in academia as well. Maybe you could give our listeners a bit of background about how you came up and, and your background and exactly what it is you do now. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. Everything started, I think it was... 10 years ago, 12 years ago in Italy, when I decided like to graduate in uh, internet measurements. In Italy, we have these things that is called telematics, and it's a mix between telecommunication and computer science. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do like a PhD in internet measurements. But in Europe, we have a very super nice program that is called Marie Curie Fellowship. So you get to do your PhD outside your own country. So I did it in Madrid. So I was starting to travel and then I knew that I would never go back to Italy. And in fact, this <laughs> happens <laughs> after like doing my PhD in Madrid. I came to London five years ago and this is where all the magic with the Internet of Things happened. So during my mm-hmm. PhD, I work in internet measurements, computer science, new internet protocols, networking. And then I adapted this knowledge to the world of the Internet of Things. And five years ago here in London at Imperial College, I did my, I was like a research fellow and we started this Internet of Things taskbed, consumer Internet of Things taskbed, when we started to collect all the traffic that we, we, first of all, we we bought hundreds of consumer IoT devices and then we started collecting the traffic and adapted my uh, knowledge of networking to the world of uh, the security and privacy for Internet of Things. So this is basically <laughs> what's happened. <laughs> well, and, and Anna and I were just talking before the show started. Um, if you're if you follow IoT, IoT security, IoT privacy, and you're you're at all on social media, which I, I think is pretty much the whole world uh, virtually, you've probably seen Anna. Because she's 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 all over the news. She's being interviewed. Definitely, um, definitely one of the experts in this area, especially as it relates to privacy. And one of the one of the things I was really excited to ask you was, uh, are you seeing any commonality in terms of big issues that seem to exist in almost all of these products? As it, you know, addresses privacy, are there just mm-hmm. big gaps that virtually everybody has? Yeah. So. Um there are many privacy issues, and this was the first goal of our study. I forget to say that now I'm at UCL University College London, so I like switch from Imperial to UCL lately. 
and uh, yeah so uh, privacy issues are the things that uh, we first like uh, had a look at and we discovered that uh, depending on the categories there are um, various issues and violation of your privacy Uh, for example, televisions were sending traffic to third party services analytics, even if you opt out for that in the terms and condition of when you are installing the devices for the first time. Cameras, camera were like sending the MAC address completely unencrypted over the internet and you also unencrypted unique identifier for your advertisement. And so we saw a camera that was from a Chinese manufacturer. Uh, that were sending uh, the videos, the time, the dates of the video completely unencrypted over the internet. So this is also mm. security issues and uh, consequently privacy issues. Uh, doorbells that were sending uh, the motions, even if you opt out for uh, like tracking your motion in the app. Even if you opt out? Yes, exactly. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this, this, this sort of privacy uh, security issues. So let me tell you a little bit about the background of the lab, how we, we measure these things. Uh, so what we did, we, we had a lab here in UK, in UCL and Imperial College, and another one exactly identical in Northeastern University in Boston. Hmm. So what hmm. we did, we bought the same devices, but in different countries. Because we saw that we had like, we, we knew that we had like different regulations in terms of privacy. Like, for example, in Europe, we had the GDPR, mm-hmm. but in US, well, you have almost nothing, unfortunately, except mm-hmm. in California. Yeah, and I don't say that yeah. out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to see if actually there are also differences in tracking and advertising and advertiser and uh, privacy issues because of these missing regulations. Mm-hmm. And we actually saw that there are some differences. Like we saw that, for example, the, the same devices in US were contacting more destinations and more third parties than the devices in, uh, installed in UK. So probably this is because here we have GDPR protecting, um, protecting for, for these things and in the US you don't. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's, it, tell me a little bit about, I mean, did you build the UK lab first and then the Boston lab? That's very interesting. And is it the same? Is it your team that oversees Boston? I mean, it's, it's, Fascinating that you've got a similar lab in the UK and yeah, yeah, yeah. here in the no, United they, they States. Started, How did that? Yeah, yeah. They started first in Boston, and then we met. We met in a conference, and uh, they were said they were saying, hey, "We are we are working on this. We are we are installing these devices." And we said, "Okay, maybe it makes sense to build exactly the same mm-hmm. and see differences in terms of privacy in, in different privacy jurisdiction." This is what we did. Are, are there certain segments within the devices that are more, I'll, I'll just say, insecure than others, or you're noticing greater privacy issues like printers versus, you know, doorbells versus cameras? Is there something that stands out that you're like, wow, these these guys always seem to get it wrong? Yeah, we saw we saw a correlation between the price of the device mm. and the security issues. Devices that are cheaper tends to be to have like more issues than the devices that are more expensive because, you know, security is also a cost. And many devices, they have the same vulnerabilities, even if they are different brands. 
because we discovered that they are la white labeled. Mm -hmm. So it's like the same cameras is sold with the same firmware is sold from mm -hmm. different brands, but in reality is the same. So the security issues propagate to different brands. Yeah, we've even seen that with some bin walking of different firmwares mm -hmm. because of the shared libraries as well as some of the white labeling uh, yeah. as well, where the vulnerabilities that are in a, a voice over IP phone might actually be in a printer or AV equipment as well. Even though they do completely separate things, they're sharing a very similar code base. Yeah, exactly. So so we we saw this. We are so when we do our analysis, we don't look we don't dissect like the device. We just look at the natural traffic. So the majority of the traffic that we we see is encrypted. I would say, fortunately for for the for the user, but unfortunate for us because we cannot see what the devices are sending. But even if we cannot see what kind of data they are sending to their cloud, we can check the activity of the devices. For example, we uh, we wrote a paper on trying to understand the activation in uh, smart speakers, even if the traffic was encrypted, and we discovered that this is possible. So even if sometimes you have security in place, like for example, encrypted uh, traffic that is encrypted, it doesn't mean that you have privacy because you can still tracking the activity of the device, even if the traffic is encrypted, as we mm -hmm. demonstrate in our paper. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and obviously, you look at the home today, and I mean, we focus a lot on the enterprise as well, but I mean, you look at home and just the number of devices that are internet connected is is staggering and growing every year, right? Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, as you built this lab, did you see over however long you've been building this just the propagation of more and more types of devices that are internet connected and and coming into the this whole fray that that you're looking at and kind of what 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 does that look like and over yeah, the, you know, how did it grow right yeah it's really crazy and it's also scaring so obviously at the lab we cannot own all the devices that are in the market but we have a good representative subset of them. Mm -hmm. So we try like to buy devices in different categories, televisions, cameras, uh, appliances, but the way they are sold nowadays is, is really crazy. So the growing is, is exponential. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't buy them. I mean, mm -hmm. it's impossible like to not uh, advance with the technology. We need the Internet of Things devices for everything. I mean, they are part of our life and they will be. But we need like also solutions for the users to protect themselves. And mm -hmm. these solutions need to be in the home, uh, in the households too. So this is something we are working lately in uh, at, at UCL and with the team at Northeastern University, a solutions that allow the users to, to get protected from uh, privacy security issues of consumer Internet of Things devices. Yeah. You know, as John mentioned, uh, our focus at Phosphorus is primarily uh, the enterprise industry, government, not so much on the consumer. But we do see areas that cross over. A printer mm -hmm. can be used in both. A camera can be used in both door locks, yeah. et cetera. But one area that's really been, I guess, picking up a lot is healthcare providers. And we work yeah. a lot, uh, you know, there's MRI machines and CAT scan equipment and, and IV insulin pumps. And there's all these things now that are, are smart devices. So we work a lot with those. But I'm wondering, from your side and the consumer side, are you looking at a lot of uh, medical devices as well? And what are you finding when you're looking into those? 
Ah, yeah, thank you. This is a very interesting question. So we didn't until now, but we started this month. So I just, uh, today exactly, I just bought like uh, 10,000K of worth of equipment for medical devices because I'm collaborating with a doctor here at UCL that is working with these devices. Mm. So they are installing in patient brain sensors, but also smart pacemaker. And what happened a few months ago in a hospital here in London is that one of these sensors, so one of these IoT sensors that they implanted in the, in the patient's brain was broke mm. and the patient died. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So, I, I mean, you see, it's not only a security issue, it's also a sort of like uh, try to understand uh, who is the responsibility when these things happen and an IoT device is like responsible for... Uh, life of die of, uh, of human being, but also like anomaly detection of these devices. Is it possible to prevent? Uh, so the ecosystem between the consumer and healthy IoT devices is completely different because the, you have different priorities. It doesn't matter if uh, Amazon Alexa broke, but it's important when uh, a sensor implanted in, a, in the brain of a patient broke. So this is what we are doing. We're trying, we, we, so today I bought these devices and the goal is try to understand if it's possible to prevent these situations by studying the traffic of these devices and understand anomaly. And if it's possible to understand if actually the anomaly is due to the patient's data or an anomaly due with the device that can be easy, easy like attacked by hacker. And then it, it's really a problem in that case. Mm. Wow. And so it, it sounds, Anna, like you, obviously you focus a lot on the privacy side, um, yeah. but uh, talk a little bit about the other side of it. I mean, again, we look at multitude of different types of devices. We already talked about the fact that many of these devices share libraries. Uh, they ship with critical vulnerabilities uh, that kind of go from one device to the next. It's it's uh, very difficult with all the OEMing and white labeling to even keep track of these. Yeah. But can you talk about some of the other things you focus on from a pure security perspective? Obviously, these devices are very exploitable with the vulnerabilities they have. We focus a lot on passwords and most of them, certainly I'm sure in the consumer, probably 100% of them are the default passwords. And so pretty easy to go find how to get into them. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other yeah. things you focus on in addition to privacy? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So uh, lately we did like some tests in our lab and we, we actually did some active attacks against them. Mm. Like we try the Mirai attacks that has, you know, is like a very well-known kind of attack is, is open source is out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we try some scan porting, port scan attacks and uh, OS scanning. And uh, I have to say that uh, since the devices are like behind the NAT, it's very complicated to perform these kind of attacks. But for like a few percentage, like 10 percentage of our devices, we it was possible to do SSH uh, penetration and also uh, port scan attack and OS scan attack. I will say 10 percentage of these devices. This paper is not published yet, but we it, it's under review. So I will let you know when it's going to be public and you can read about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, and not only that, we also did a study on uh, commercial solutions 
They start protecting the users from security and privacy issues of the devices. So nowadays you can buy boxes or you can buy smart router with software on them that are like protecting, that are claiming to protect the Internet of Things from security attacks of privacy kind of attacks. Mm-hmm. And we, we tested in our lab, we benchmark in our lab, like eight of these solutions that you can find in the market. I won't say the name because the study is still under review. It will be public probably in March, but the majority of them doesn't work. They don't work. Wow. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like you're buying a, uh, one of these box and you are, you think that like you are protected. You think that your devices are protected in your home. But in reality, they don't work. They don't. They cannot even detect a simple uh, SIM flooding attack. Yeah, it, it's amazing huh. to me that they're smart enough to market and advertise these capabilities and maybe put a radio button so you can turn it on or off in the system. But they're not actually doing the work behind it. That's yeah. It's, it's such an awful. It's one thing if they don't even they don't have the wherewithal or a security development lifecycle to develop it. It's another thing just to get out there and lie. Um, are, yeah. Where where are most of these? And I ask this kind of knowing or guessing, but where are most of these devices built? Are are still most of them coming out of Asia? Or are you seeing devices that are manufactured all over the world at this point? Yeah, yeah, no, they are all over the world. Yeah, U.S., Europe. Only one. Uh, are you talking about the safeguards, right? This late no, just day, the just uh, IoT devices uh, in general beds. that you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, all over the world. So the world. We, for for selecting them, we bought the one that were like uh, top in the market in Amazon. Got it. Yeah. So we have all kind of uh, Alexa. We have all kind of Google Home from the second generation to the fifth. The majority of these cameras that you buy in Amazon, the cheapest one, they are from China. Yeah. For example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've seen in our own research, and this is, again, cameras are something that can float between enterprise use and, and general consumer use for more, more expensive cameras. But we did see one camera, I won't call it the vendor, mm-hmm. but there was ability, it recorded audio and it recorded video. And you were able to say, stop recording. And it had a light on it. And when it was recording, it was green. And when you said stop, it would turn red. Well, it it turned the light red, but it never actually stopped recording. Um, it just said it stopped recording. Okay. <laughs> and, and I always think, you know, anytime you watch any kind of crime drama, there's somebody and they're, they're interrogating them. And they always say, well, shut off the camera. And they shut yeah. well, like, That camera is probably not really shut off. Yeah. <laughs> There, there is no way that you can know that. Only if you look at the network traffic, you can know that. Yeah, yeah. What about, I'm wondering, Are now you mentioned uh, like doorbells. Are you also looking at door locks p- that people might use on their homes? Yeah, like a garage door open, for example. And it's surprising because the majority of these devices for appliance, this kind of appliances of this kind of usage, uh, devices for this usage, they use the same backend infrastructure. So it's different brand, different manufacturer, oh. but the backend infrastructure is shared. Like there are some common uh, smart life, for example. Yeah, one mm-hmm. is called smart life that is used from different brands. So it's basically because they are so cheap that probably they cannot pay for the backend infrastructure. So they pay someone else for doing that. So if there is a vulnerability in the cloud, in the backend infrastructure, it's also propagated for different brands, different manufacturers. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the 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 privacy gap between say the Europe and European mm-hmm. Union and and like the United States, right? It's pretty different, right? I mean, if you come yeah. to the United States, although we're getting a little better at understanding privacy, we're still way behind. You've got the California Consumer Protection Act, so yeah. you, you know, in California they have a law, right? And and other states are kind of toying with different things, but it's very different, right? When you go over to Europe and you look at the European Union countries and and some of those, can you talk a little bit about what those big differences are? You know, how knowledgeable are the consumers, say, in the European area compared to the United States, right? And does that maybe drive that big gap and the difference between just awareness of privacy around internet of things compared to in the United States, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not that because here we have regulation, the consumers understand the better privacy, but like each country is in the European Union is doing a big effort for making the consumer understanding it. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, it works that we have like a big regulation that is called GDPR. Mm-hmm. And each country has like a board that needs to enforce the GDPR. So each country was we call data protection authority. Like, for example, you have the Italian Data Protection Authority, German Data Protection Authority. Every country needs to enforce GDPR. You, for sure, you like, you heard about uh, Google, uh, Facebook, Meta got fined mm-hmm. like a few months mm-hmm. ago by France. And stuff like this. this was because of GDPR. So every country needs to enforce GDPR, but they can also put some rules of, on top on GDPR. So they can do better if they want to. So it's it's true that we have these regulations, but to be honest, I think there is a like a huge trend here in Europe that is called privacy paradox. Mm. It means that the users are aware, they say they care about privacy, mm. they read about privacy, etc. But in the end, they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. For that, so they don't read the terms and condition. They upset everything. They start every kind of devices, even if it's like as bad reviews, just because it's cheap in their mm-hmm. home. This is like this awareness is increasing thanks to like uh, podcasts, like the one we are doing, or thanks also to news and fines that the European Union is doing to this big company. But we are not there yet. Like we need, we need more. And I think the big gap, what it's missing is like tools, simple tools for the users for tracking these issues. Like for mm-hmm. example, this box, if they, they only worked, <laughs> mm-hmm. they could be useful. Uh, but like, for example, a simple app that you install in your home and you can, and you can see visualize and the user can visualize all the traffic uh, that these mm-hmm. devices are producing. Just mm-hmm. only that, that will be already enough like for creating more awareness. So now we are working with the data protection authority for uh, like try to um, spread the problem and the issues that we have with these Internet of Things devices. Mm. Uh, because the majority of the people, they don't understand the consequences. So they said, okay, uh, some people in China and California, they have my data, who cares? They don't know that the main problem in this case is like profiling, uh, mass influencing, and all these things. Mm-hmm. They they just think they just see the comfort of having these devices, having these devices, and they don't think about the consequences. Yeah, we hear that sometimes. If you take something as 
popular as a printer. And they say, yeah. ah, it's just a printer. Well, why is the printer beaconing out every night to some location in Asia and you're seeing these massive data streams? Because you might be printing or copying sensitive things on there yeah. as a business or might be tax records, financial data, health records, things like that mm-hmm. that could be used for blackmail or or, or other types of events. So it's, it's all connected. I I think the days are gone, I hope. I know it's not, we're not there yet, but if people thinking – Ah, it's just a it's just a smart device. It's not really a computer as as we all know. It's they're they're yeah. absolutely computers with all the same power and tech. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering on the enterprise side, we see for XIoT devices, we see a lot of Linux, uh, BSD, and the real time operating system stuff like VxWorks for SCADA devices. OT. I'm wondering on the consumer side, what are some of the popular operating systems that you're seeing these devices actually running? Yeah, no, they are simple Linux. Okay, uh, so they are, they are based on Linux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the protocols that they use is like uh, almost HTTP. Yes, that's it. Like normal, they're not using MQTT or the protocols that are made for just IoT devices. They're using like protocols that you can see in the internet. So it's writing, writing a flavor of Linux, popular protocols. You mentioned yes. SSH. Are you seeing a lot of clear text protocol usage still? Anything like FTP or Telnet or TFTP? Anything like that? No, that one, not from the devices. So that's good. We that's have. a positive. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because we, on the enterprise side, yeah. we see a lot of clear text protocols still. It's, it's amazing that you still see port 23 traffic. You're like... In, enable SSH or in, enable yeah. you know HTTPS. Uh, th- th- these these have these are solved problems, and they have yeah. enough horsepower. They have enough capabilities to run encrypted communication. It's not like oh they're they don't have the capabilities to turn this on. So yeah, that's good. That's interesting to hear. So Linux and it's running relatively popular protocols, but yes. like you mentioned, a lot of them are encrypted still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority of the traffic, I would say, not ninety percent of the traffic of the lab is encrypted. Mm. And so, I mean, when you think of your mission with all that you're doing here, it's incredible. I mean, and uh, there's a lot of good that can come from this. We talked about the fact that there's this privacy paradox. I think there's the same one here. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Oftentimes, it comes down to perhaps the day where there's a simple thing someone can buy and push a button and they can understand the value of that and just use it easily. Perhaps they'd say, yeah, heck, I'll use it. Um, but what is one of the key missions that you want to try yeah, to accomplish? So, and how is how is it how is it going toward that mission at this yeah. point? Yeah. <laughs> so there are two things. One is like uh, this uh, tool that uh, will power uh, users for like controlling uh, these IoT devices in an mm-hmm. easy easy way. So the control will be back to the user, so they can see oh, these devices is like. Having these privacy issues at the moment, I can signal it so everybody, other other owners of the same devices can know it. And also, like uh, try to help uh, regulators on like putting additional regulations on these devices from different countries. And uh, here in Europe, we are talking a lot about Internet of Things, consumer Internet of Things certification. So it's not only like helping, it's not only, my mission would be not only helping the users to have the control back, but also uh, helping the manufacturer to certify and uh, open a market for this. So certify Mm -hmm. their devices. Mm 
In this case, we are working with the data protection authority in Italy for that. They are they are interested in having a, like a certification scheme like this. But I know that yeah. U.S. also Consumer Reports was like working this privacy label, and they are interested in having like a global databases with the privacy security issues for each devices. So what I want to do is like a, a simple web page with. Each brand, like every every devices will be in the web page because we will use like a sort of crowdsourcing methodology for crowdsourcing of the privacy security issues with these devices and then label them. Like as you do, for example, for energy consumption for your fridge nowadays in which you have A, B, C, D level. The same for the privacy and security issues. The problem here is how do you do that? Like what is the baseline? What is the best privacy security label you can have? And this is like the complicated part because mm-hmm. you have regulations, but regulations are general. It's very difficult to convert regulations in metrics in like something that you can measure. Mm-hmm. And it's also difficult to uh, convert standards in something that you can measure or gain lines. Like for example, in US, you have the NIST gain lines. Here we have the Cybersecurity Act. So we have the AI Act. All these things needs to be like converted to something that you can measure for these devices. So this is what I'm working at the moment and the mission mm. for the next years. Yeah, I could see how developing the scoring system or whatever it's gonna yes. be, your color grade could be hard because uh, but for me as a consumer, if I was going to buy an internet router, um, wireless access point, whatever, I'd love to find out, well, it only got a two out of five on its security score. Well, it says it has a hundred different security capabilities and it will stop sin floods. That button doesn't actually do anything. I'd, I'd like to know that <laughs> as a consumer. And maybe because of that, because people vote well with their wallets, uh, that will then apply pressure to those vendors to create better solutions. Mm -hmm. And to your point, even that backend cloud infrastructure, right? If we're going to be sharing one backend, it will have to even address that as well. So I love that. That's It's amazing to me, actually, that we don't have that yet, given how pervasive with 50 billion plus devices, depending on whose statistics you look at, uh, Mm -hmm. out there already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is my vision for the future. It's, it's not going to be easy because you need like collaboration, cooperation between manufacturer, stakeholders and uh, data protection authorities, regulators, standard uh, organizations. But my goal is basically empowering the user with these tools, something they can install in their home and they can visualize the traffic of the devices, but also something they can find online before buying the devices mm-hmm. to stimulate the manufacturers to do better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a noble vision. <laughs> we definitely need that. I mean, it, as you you know, speak for the European area, are you seeing interest rise as you go out and talk to whoever you talk to, news outlets, different countries? Is, is it increasing the interest in what you're doing and in your mission? Or is it staying relatively the same? What does it look like these days? Yeah, yeah, no, it looks like the various countries, they are interested, as I said, like the Italian Data Protection Authority is interested, the German Authority is interested, uh, in US consumer reports, consumer mm-hmm. organizations in Spain are also interested. So there is, in Europe, but also in US, there is, uh, NIST was also like talking mm-hmm. about privacy labels for Internet of Things. 
So at least in Europe and US, I didn't go actually to other countries. Oh no, I went to Japan last month, but it, it was very surprising to me to see that such a like uh, advanced technological country, it's not a war about, or they don't care yet about privacy. Oh, security. that's interesting. <laughs> I would have wow. thought the opposite as well. Yes. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So Anna, as we wrap up here, uh, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about your research and and what you're looking looking into? Yeah, these days? you can you can see more details in my webpage annamandalari.com, and then from there you just have all the research and the details of the labs and the papers. Everything is there. And and Anna, do you come stateside? You not U.S. Any plans to come here? Do you talk to? Any organizations or news outlets in the United States where some listeners might find you or? Yeah, I'm planning to go there in May for some conferences. Like uh, there is one that is the Security and Privacy Conference in San Francisco in May. And another one where I will be keynote speaker, uh, it's called IoT Benchmark Workshop. This is also in May. And this is in uh, Texas. Awesome. And so, social, they can find you on your Twitter, social outlets. LinkedIn. Yeah. Fantastic. Ah, Just well, put my name is there. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And we have to ask as we leave, like if you're a consumer, I mean, this is what you focus on. Ending, do you have any ending just advice for the typical consumer today? And, you know, as they kind of have more and more network connected devices, any, any, uh, good advice you can give the typical consumer today? Yes, which them off. No, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> As I always said, like read the terms and condition that don't upset everything uh, by default, like try to opt out as, um, as, as much as you can. Uh, if you don't want to be tracked, obviously, if you want to be tracked, like, <laughs> don't worry. And if you can, like, when you are, we did a study on smart speakers that they were uh, frequently misactivating, even if you didn't say the wake word, for example. So mute the smart speakers when you can, when you are not using it or when you are, uh, are having sensitive conversation. If you can access the television and you can frequently reset your advertisement ID. So if you go like to terms and condition of the televisions, you will always have like a ID for the advertisements they are offering. If you reset that, it's going to be difficult to profile you. So just these three advice. advices. Good yes. Advice, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, as, as Brian said, this was fascinating. I, it's noble work you're doing. It's, it's incredible. Um, and we would love to stay in touch with you. I'm sure our users would, uh, you know, to follow your mission here. But it's it uh, was a great discussion, Anna, and, and thank you so so much for joining us today. Again, thanks to Brian, my co-host, and again, Anna Mandalari. Grazie mille. Uh, thank <laughs> Grazie you so voi. much for joining us today. We really <laughs> thank appreciate you for it. inviting. It was real fun. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. And until we all meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contes. And we'll see you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. 
While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast. Thank you.